And let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Beginning with verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened of anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, as we approach this table before us, Will you prepare our hearts even in these moments? Will you, before we feed on your sacrament, feed us on your word and cause your spirit to be our teacher and the molder of our lives, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Be seated. When we take communion in a few minutes, and each time we do, I share with you the, what we call the words of institution of the Supper of our Lord, and that's from 1 Corinthians 11. And there is a verse in there that says this, verse 27, 1 Corinthians 11, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So clearly, uh, there is a way that we can take communion in an unworthy manner, and if that is the warning, then the implication is that the normal, the right way for us to take communion would be in a worthy manner manner. And I think we'd all agree that, I mean, I feel a little uncomfortable about that because after all, who is worthy but Christ? I'm afraid if it's how we feel that none of us would ever say, yes, of course I feel worthy to take of this table. We don't, if we properly understand who Christ is, the holiness of God, and that we sin even as followers of Christ. And yet, that phrase is used. And in the passage that is before us today, in God's providence, there is a parallel verse. I see it as parallel because it says that we are, our manner of life should be 
worthy of the gospel of Christ. There it is again. The idea of being worthy of the gospel of Christ. Who? Who? Not me. I think most of us would say. And yet, this is what Paul wanted to tell the church in Philippi. And therefore, because he's inspired by God's Holy Spirit, the church throughout every century, and that includes us. So, if there is a life that's consistent with the gospel, what is it? Now, I wouldn't say that this passage covers every aspect of that, but it at least enables us to know what Paul wanted to make sure that the Philippians uh, understood. Uh, So, what is that calling? In talking about living a life worthy of the, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, here's what we need to know. So the word that's, that's translated manner of life, and this is going to sound strange, you, you, you may not see the parallel, it's not apparent in, in the English, but it literally means citizenship. Now, remember, we said when we started this book, when we did the introduction of the book and so on, that Philippi is, was in essence a little Rome. It was a very Roman city. Uh, a, a lot of uh, Roman soldiers uh, retired to Philippi. And uh, interestingly enough, that, that is likely what Paul is uh, uh, wanting to play on. Roman citizenship was not an easy thing to come by. You either paid a high price or you were born into it like, like Paul. His parents were Roman citizens, so he was. Uh, or uh, it was bestowed upon you uh, for some reason. You were not a Roman citizen just because you lived in the region of the empire of Rome. Many, if not most, were not even Roman citizens Uh, because it was such a special thing. Philippi, however, was unique in that about a century before Paul wrote this, Caesar Augustus, Mark Antony, conferred citizenship on all of the residents of Philippi. So if you were born there, you were born a citizen. So Paul evidently is playing on their pride of citizenship and indicating, look, you who are believers, yeah, you may be citizens of of Rome or some other place, but you should live as a citizen in a manner worthy of the gospel, a citizen of the kingdom, as it were. And we know later in uh, Philippians that he will talk about Our citizenship ultimately is where? In heaven. And we will get to that later on. So Paul focuses on three areas. Uh, First of all, in terms of our calling, and that calling being uh, living a life in a manner worthy of the gospel. The first one is our calling is to stand firm. Uh, Verse 27 says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in 
one spirit. So the word standing firm here means a, a persistence, a stubbornness in, in the best sense of the word, digging in. Think of a tug of war, digging in your heels, not just the big guy at the back, but everybody in between, digging in so that they're not pulled somewhere where they don't want to go. And that's the kind of thing that he's, he's talking about as believers, of course, however. We must dig in at the right time over the right matters in the right way. So what's so radical about that, standing firm? Well, we live in a, a world where open-mindedness is valued more than, than a, a stubbornness in, in terms of standing firm in your faith, standing, we would say, on the truth. At least that's how many would define Christianity. I have heard, and I'm sure you have heard too, people speak for Jesus. Not from the Bible, but in their imagination to say, well, Jesus would be okay with, with my lifestyle or with what I'm doing. He loved everybody, and in, in their imagination to validate what they really want to do or their views. The only time it is guaranteed to be accurate in speaking for Jesus is if you use his words from his word, which is the Bible. That's the only time we can be guaranteed we are accurate in speaking for Jesus. Now, Paul had no problem digging in his heels when it came to right doctrine. He didn't care who uh, he offended. He didn't care if he was popular when he was uh, defending right doctrine or when he was offended by those who uh, were not preaching a right doctrine. Over in Galatians, and I'll just read it to you, but in Galatians 3, he says this to that church, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, what's he talking about? Well, earlier he had said this in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 8. Even if we or an angel of, from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He's saying, look, if, if they pervert the gospel, if they don't preach it accurately or preach only a, a portion of it, let them receive eternal damnation. That's the worst thing he, he could say. If they don't repent of that, that needs to be their destiny. Strongly, as he stood against heresy and untruth, just as strong, and he warned the Philippians to just as strongly, he indicates to the Philippians that our calling is to a unity in the faith. Again, verse 27, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. 
Now that phrase, striving side by side for the faith, it's an athletic term. Uh, So if you can picture uh, a disciplined team all working together, not with with one one solo person trying to do his own thing and everybody kind of going their own direction, but all of them moving as a unit, that's the idea here. And that's when they would be the most effective. Now, evidently, there was some kind of strife in Philippi, in the church there. He's going to address it more specifically later in the book. In fact, he names names. He's going to call them out. So we'll, we'll get to that later. And yet, here he begins to build that foundation. I have many times uh, in my ministry been asked uh, the, the question, or it's been stated in a lot of different ways, uh, uh, well, why are there so many denominations if there's only one truth? You all can't get along. You don't believe the same things. You can't agree on anything. So you, you start new denominations. Well, there are aspects of the faith that we may disagree on. But when we agree on the essentials, the essentials of the gospel and the word of God, we must have the attitude that, that we're all on the same team when we hold to those essentials. We're under the same banner, the banner of Christ. In our, in our membership class describing our, our church, right before I talk about the essentials, which is the gospel, in our workbook it says this, in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, freedom. So even within our church, we, we understand that in the essentials. We, we're not going to agree on every uh, little aspect of, of doctrine. But in the essentials, the gospel, who Christ is, the word of God, those are the essentials. Now, let's get practical. Every day on my way uh, to work and uh, back home, I pass a number of churches, and uh, a number of them are are very good churches that I have every reason to believe they are preaching the gospel. And when I'm on on trips, and especially out in the country, when I see small churches with probably small congregations, and I think, you know, they probably have a faithful pastor there. (laughs) preaching his heart out every single week. I try to make it a practice in passing those churches in praying for them. And here's how I like to pray, that God would bless them insofar as they are faithful to Christ. That's the way to, we can pray. We always want that, right? Insofar as they're faithful. I, I, I can't just give a, uh, ask him to give a, a blanket blessing if they're unfaithful to Christ. But after all, that, that's all I would ask from them, too. If they pass St. Andrews or they know of us, insofar as we are faithful to Christ, God, please bless them. During uh, the COVID lockdown, there was an interesting uh, uh, tweet from Burger King. Now, I'm, I I'm not a follower of Burger King. I saw this story, okay? 
Uh, but they uh, urged uh, uh, their customers to order from their competitors during the lockdown. Uh, and here, here is part of their statement on Twitter. It read, order from McDonald's. We never thought we would ask you to do this, just as we never imagined we would ask you to order from KFC, Subway, Five Guys, Taco Bell, I know I'm making you hungry here, and other, <laughs> other independent food outlets too numerous to mention here. In short, order from any of our other sister food chains, restaurants employing thousands of staff really need your support at the moment. Then they go on and say, getting a Whopper is always best. <laughs> but ordering a Big Mac is also not such a bad thing. I thought that was such a, a great tweet. And, but what it made me think of is, uh, wouldn't it be great if that's how we talked about our sister churches? Not just other PCA churches, but ones who are faithful to the gospel. You know, if some... If somebody doesn't want to come here, well, guide them to a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church that focuses on Christ. That's how we ought to strive together. Paul's saying, don't waste energy on disunity with those who are striving next to you. One commentator said, such sideways energy output does no good in our efforts to advance the gospel in the face of the real enemy, which is Satan. Saying, remember, they're not the enemy. Satan's the enemy. If you're, if you're picking at them, you're forgetting who the real enemy is. Now, in the next chapter, Paul is going to talk about uh, Christ-like humility, and that's, that's what's necessary in order to have that attitude. Now, the third aspect of our calling that he deals with is uh, our calling is fearlessness toward man. He says with one, uh, one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, 28, and not frightened in anything by our opponents. The word frightened, the word there is, is like a, a, a skittish horse, one that's startled. And that's what that word, how it's used elsewhere. Uh, Paul didn't seem to be afraid because he knew that nothing was going to touch him outside of the providence of God. He, he was totally protected, not from all harm, but from anything happening that was not in God's plan for him. That was such a comfort to Paul that he simply had to share that with the church in Philippi and for us as well. There is nothing that happens to any of the children of the living God that is outside of his will. We can't always figure it out, but we always know that he loves us, he is there with us, and he always does what's best for his children. Those things we can always know. Look at what he says in verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. 
when he talks about suffering and his own as well, he says, it's granted to, new, to you. Not that it happened to you or you poor things that, that, that you were unlucky or something like that. He says, it's been granted. So he's saying, this too is from God. Now, another reason that he didn't fear men, back to his other letter over in Galatians, another letter of his, where he says in Galatians 1 verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Here's why he didn't fear man. Because he only feared God. The God that loved him, that chose him, that redeemed him, that sent his only son to die for him. He's the only one I'm going to fear because no man can do anything to me, Paul would say, that my God is not in charge of. So, terms of applications, verse 28. Living that life, that life that is fitting in a manner of the gospel has an impact on those who see it. Here's what he says, verse 28. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So here's what he's saying. And this shouldn't be our motive that we want to we show them. But he says, here's, here's the reality. Is that living a life in a manner worthy of the gospel shows unbelievers that the gospel is actually true. And then when he talks about a sign to them of their destruction, if the gospel is true and they reject it, then... Even your life is a testimony of the reality of the gospel and their need for it. But the other thing that living that life does is for we who believe. It helps us have the assurance that we belong to Christ. That's why similar words are used by Paul about taking the Lord's Supper because this table is only for those who belong to Christ. And so we come to the table. Here is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So there it is again. The warning that you ought not to come to this table in an unworthy manner, which means what? Well, if you don't know Christ, if you've come here and you're not trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, that's, that's the very beginning. Because you see, this table is for children of the living God, those trusting in Jesus for their eternal life. Now, I want to make it clear. I'm, I'm so glad you're here, even if you're not trusting in Christ. And I want you to keep coming. But I don't want you to put yourself in a position that Paul is just warned against, and that is to make a mockery of this table. None of us know your heart, but God does. And so that would be taking in an unworthy manner. But also if you are a follower of Christ, but you've found yourself more in love with your sin or a sin than with the Savior, the first thing you should do is deal with that before coming to the table. And if you're unwilling to, then don't come to the table today. But deal with it. Live and walk in a life of repentance before Him. And that will bring great joy then when you come to the table. And if you have children that have not yet professed their faith in Christ, use this as a teaching time. Talk to them about this on the way home and at home. But don't have them partake until they are trusting in Christ alone. Not in your faith, but themselves for eternal life. Let's bow together. Lord, thank you that you love us this much. That when you call us to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, when you call us to come to this table in a worthy manner, it's not in our own strength. It's because Christ, who alone is worthy, dwells in us. So we thank you for that. We thank you for, for achieving what it costs to set this table and that is the perfect and holy life of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, dying on the cross for his people for those who would trust in him alone we thank you for that and now we ask that you would take these ordinary elements, this, this bread this fruit of the vine and that by your Holy Spirit, as we partake by faith, you would strengthen us to walk in that manner. That you would help us with our doubts, with our weaknesses in faith, and grow us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.